Christopher Keenan Sr. seems to have set himself up as just not even, he hasn't even renamed himself. He's just chopped off his last name, Keenan, and just called himself Christopher Vincent and has had a relatively public life with his own headshot on LinkedIn, amazingly, a recognisable face. To look back and he was attending business conferences on aviation in 2019. He's got one foot in both camps. I'm Nicola Tallent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A week after US sanctions were levelled at the Kinahan Mafia and their associates, an incredible fallout continues as many run for cover and deny relationships with the top tier. But at the heart of the countless stories and headlines about the Kinahan Organised Crime Group, there's been an insight into the man at the very top of the tree. While the concentration has been on his son Daniel and his links to boxing, Dapper Don Christy Kinahan has been moonlighting as an aviation broker and running a string of social media accounts featuring his musings about the world. Today I'm talking with Sunday World Deputy Editor Niall Donald about the ultimate godfather of crime and about the two faces he shows to the world. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So it's been a really, really busy week since we spoke last. Um, obviously, the the day after the sanctions were announced, which was very dramatic for the Kinahan mob and all around them. Um, and since then, there has been some developments in the story. And I think in particular, we were able to discover the online presence of Christy the Dapper Don Kinahan. Total case of he hasn't gone away, you know. No, absolutely. It was a very busy week, busy skiing for you, but particularly busy for us um, back in, in headquarters. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, Christy Kinahan Sr., I suppose we've heard over over the last few years how he stepped away from the business and that's that's a lot of what we've 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 heard about him. But I think the last few weeks have shown that while he may not be involved in 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 the day to day of of drug shipments, that he's remains the mastermind behind the the financial plan for the for the Kinnan cartels' assets. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's he's like obviously Christy Kinnan Senior. Unlike uh, we always hear about Daniel, he's not somebody you can say he has no convictions. Like he obviously has a long, long criminal history. Um, but I think. His online presence actually shows you maybe something about the person behind the man who built, you know, this incredible, whatever way you want to look at it, this incredible organisation and network, you know. Yeah. And just before we get on to that, let's go back to where he came from, who he is and those convictions. He's an interesting character, Christy Kinahan Sr., I've always found because he's a little bit of a cuckoo in the nest. He's a middle class guy who was educated, who came from a family that had it all, really. And he could have been anything. He was apparently really good at kickboxing. He was intelligent. He, you know, was going to be given an education. His mother ran a beautiful period bed and breakfast in around Cabra, Fibsborough, and his father ran, uh, drove a taxi on the Gresham rank, which was a very respectable, very middle-class job. He had two sisters and was 
spoiled and adored within the family, Christy Kinahan. And at some point, kind of from teenage years to his early 20s, he appears to have got involved in frauds. He's working alongside, actually, the late Eddie Hutch, the monk's brother who was murdered in retaliation for the the uh, the murder of David Byrne in the Regency and ultimately the attack on Daniel Kinahan. And he's sort of the respectable guy who is in there. There's loads coming off the ships and the docks being nicked and he's the guy who sells them on to the, the shops. A couple of sofas are available. He goes in with his middle-class accent and his manners and he does the deal. A uh, bit of a fraudster, but he also seems to get involved in heroin. Well, in drugs, I think. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's his, if you want, gateway drug into that world, you know. Um, like Christy uh, like He senior. told a court at one point that he was a heroin addict. I have never totally believed that. No, because, I mean, obviously people, people, that's one of the things that people say in court, but by all accounts, from from what I've been told, is that that was true, mm. that he did have a, you know, obviously he was, he was you're t- probably talking about the 1980s, um, you know, when there was a heroin explosion, um, he was going to O'Connell School in, in the in the north inner city, which was at the time uh, one of the 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 uh, one of the most respectable schools in Dublin. I mean, people my own people from my own family would have got scholarships to go there, right. you know. So, and it would have produced a couple of uh, couple of teaching. You know, it was yeah. a very um, it was it was you know probably Dublin's most famous school at that stage. Um, so he was coming from. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, from a, a part from, I mean, beautiful homes in Cabros, mm. where where we was from, and um, you know they'd be selling for I don't know close to close to a million euros now if they were on the market, but he was also he obviously had a gateway into this life, mm. and um, you know obviously he seems to have become heavily involved very quickly. Mm. Um, but he didn't seem to be on the, the guard or radar at some point, is what people were saying. Um, there was obviously an explosion of heroin dealing in, in in the north inner city at the time. There was people that were in and out of the Sunday world, you know, the Dunn family, people along those lines. But he seems to have built up a proper network himself. Um, yeah, that's why it doesn't tally with me that he was a heroin addict, to be honest with you, because I don't think somebody that is so addicted to that drug can function on that level, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, nonetheless, he seems to have had a little bit of a dipping into drug use himself, but very quickly saw that he didn't want to be a user. He wanted to be a boss, a drug boss. And I think um, he, in the meantime, sorry, married Jean Boylan, the mother of Daniel and Christopher Jr., he seems to have lived with the boys out in Tala for a period of time. And then as he goes into prison, she goes to Oliver Bond where they're reared. But um, the dapper Don, as he later became known, was very much interested in Larry Dunn and what Larry Dunn was doing. Of course, Larry Dunn was the, uh, the first godfather of crime in Dublin, made his fortune from heroin, bought a big house in the Dublin Hills, had a chauffeur-driven car. He had all the wealth, etc., uh, but he was a great user of his own supply and came a cropper and was jailed for a long period of time. And it's always said that Kinahan was waiting in the wings, watching his demise, and that he moved into the vacuum that, that Dunn left. Um, and, you know, when he's caught the first time in Dublin 
and arrested and jailed in relation to that because he's caught with heroin in a very fancy apartment in Fairview. He's with an international criminal at that stage. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he's a guy who's very heavily involved in drugs out in Amsterdam and it could be a Lebanese guy. Yeah, he seems to have uh, skipped the middleman, I think, mm. and gone and established his own contacts. Um, I think it's just as simple as that. Um, I think he's he's you know that he's not gone to get a supply off of 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 the the native Irish dealers, but he seems to have gone to do it himself. And you have to remember as well in those days, like it was would have been well possible to operate in that way, um, bringing relatively small amounts back on ferries on planes. Mm. If you were under the radar, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have come to the attention of the guards. Um, but I think things. Uh, did change from when he went to prison, um, you know that that you know I, from what I've been told, and and you know it all becomes kind of myth and legend, but that he was hanging around with a people like Eddie Hutch and people associated with with him in the in the north inner city, living a very wild and crazy life at one stage. But when he went into prison, and it's okay, it's become one of these legends that he that he went to college and he refused to leave prison because he hadn't he had to finish his degree. But it does seem to have had a transformative effect on mm. on maybe his ambition, you know. It definitely did, and it was in prison that he met, of course, John Cunningham, who had been convicted in relation to the kidnap of Jennifer Guinness. Um, and John and his brother Michael were pretty high up there at that point. Criminals from the Ballyfermot area had been involved in the General's gang, you know, big calibre. And Cunningham, I was always told, was always waiting for the big one. He always wanted to make the million. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you look at the the Kinahan mob now being valued at a billion and it just seems farcical that somebody might want to make a million, but that was what it was. And together, I think they they found similar ambitious souls and they got together and they when they got out, they went to Amsterdam, set up their wholesale business. The two of them are in and out of prison all the time throughout the, the, their, their, um, their business together. But when one is in, the other is out and they seem to be able to constantly run it, grow it. And obviously then Kinahan gets the sons down to the south coast of Spain, puts his people in place down there and he remains on the move constantly, always in the background. And as we've spoken before, coming up to around 2014, uh, 2013, 2014, as it appears he's handing over the reins of the business to Daniel Kinahan and taking a back seat, retiring as such. Um, he's there, at, but then he pops up in Dubai with them as well, and, and we know he's in and around there. Um, I suppose what we didn't realise was just how significant he still was within the business. Absolutely. I mean, like, certainly at the time of Operation Shovel, which was 2010, when the, the Spanish police raided and arrested the Kinnan and his and his two sons. They he was certainly the head of the, the the drugs network at that stage. He was the man making the decisions in terms of you know dealing with with the South Americans. That's what we were always told. And um, sometime after that, um, he, he kind of his old crimes caught up with him, and he spent a period of time in in a prison in Belgium for money laundering offences. Back to do with a a case, you know, a number of years previous to that. Um, so once he came out of that prison, I mean, we can speculate that he, you know, he really decided that's not where I want to be in my sixties again. Yeah, and he seems to have taken a a step back from the from the the, the drug network. 
so he was in Dubai and you, you could probably trace the Sunday world from mm-hmm. sometime between 2015 and 2020. You have less and less Christy Senior and more and more Daniel. And that's that's the way it went. Yeah. I mean, Daniel became the the unwilling unwilling public face maybe of the Kingdom Cartel. Mm. And Christy, you heard, we heard rumours. So he might not be, might have held problems. He's playing a lot of golf was another thing you're always told. He always got these... Uh, Stories, people. Oh, I saw him. You know, shooting a four ball on 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 Dubai with people who didn't know who he was and all of that. But you know, I remember getting um, pictures in from him walking the beach, and it was definitely him. But we just couldn't quite the way the angle of the picture. He just yeah. hadn't totally turned around, so we couldn't convince the lawyers that it, it mightn't have been some other punter who looked like him. Yeah. Um, which of course was the safe way to play it, and it never got published. But yeah, he was there. He was living in. Um, I remember actually having his in a, an address for him at the time. He was living in kind of very high end um, property in Dubai, but he had sort of gone into the background, and we were kind of getting more and more into the into the mind of Daniel, who was like very clearly a bit of an egomaniac, a bit of a narcissistic guy, manipulative. He had sort of you know, fallen out with a lot of friends. There was people, enemies of his who had a lot to say about him. But in the middle of that and the truth of it was probably that he was this very egotistical person. Yeah, he was putting himself forward, Daniel. I mean, it wasn't that you had to search for what he thought because he had people saying it for him, boxers, other people coming out publicly. So you knew what was going on with Daniel. Um, he was going to be the power broker of boxing in the world, and that was his ambition, really. Yes, and he seems to have made his own contacts, probably with the younger generation of, of criminals mm. across Europe that, that Daniel was dealing with directly. Obviously, from Holland, from the, from Eastern Europe and stuff like that. But while Daniel was maybe doing that, like, amazingly, you know, because if, I mean, if you sit down and Google Christopher Kinnahan, I mean, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of entries you get now. But simultaneously to that existing, Christopher Kinnan Sr. seems to have set himself up as just not even, he hasn't even renamed himself. He's just chopped off his last name, Kinnan, and just called himself Christopher Vincent and has had a very uh, relatively public life as, uh, you know, he describes himself online as a senior consultant, an aviation broker, uh, you know, in, in you know, those sort of roles, you know, with his own headshot on LinkedIn, amaz- amazingly, a recognisable face, which again, he didn't have to do. Christopher Vincent, which is, you know, even the, the, the middle name Vincent has been published many times. And, you know, he's out there on LinkedIn, social media on a daily basis. And he's been there and he's been in the background pretty much heading up the operation, really, you know, from the financial point of view, as we said, Daniel is is looking after the, the drugs. And I remember the Spanish called it difficult decisions me, me, being <laughs> murder and various things like that. It was very, maybe Google Translate came, came up with it. But um, yeah, I mean, this is the story that we ran in the Sunday World last week. And I think it's available online on sundayworld.com to read. But um, it was basically the Dapper Don, the headline actually, the story was Dapper Don Line Services for Hire. Yeah, he's this aviation broker. He has a LinkedIn page. You and I were able to read through his tweets, his LinkedIn postings uh, and other social media he had. And we got a proper insight into the kind of what was going on in his mind. Um, 
And we wrote about that, about how he is pretty much pro-Vladimir Putin. He loves Russia. He thinks we should be a bit wary of Ukraine. Um, he likes Claire Daly, the MEP, and her thoughts. And uh, he's big into Russell Brand. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a funny a funny mix. I mean, I'll I'll defend him slightly that his pro-Putin uh, uh, tweets kind of came before the invasion, actually. <laughs> so he was um, sort of saying, well, and some of them weren't prescient, really, because he was sort of saying NATO are hyping this up and Putin isn't going to invade. Okay. But once the war does kick in, he takes uh, a very much... Um, I suppose, like, you know, you have to... People always when you're reporting on crime and you'll know this way more than me, people always say, well, what are these people like? Like how, and that's the real... What makes them tick? What makes them tick? And, uh, you know, how can they do this? But how can Daniel be doing this in criminality, but he also, the boxers think he's the greatest guy ever or whatever. So, I mean, that that's always the... the, the that is, I think, partly that's driven the... The incredible interest in recent times across across all sorts in in true crime, but I think you see with Christie Senior, he's he's what the Americans would call a libertarian, um, and that's not to say all libertarians are likely to be a, a criminal godfathers, but he's a libertarian. He's he's hugely suspicious of the mainstream media, uh, the the vaccine companies, big pharma. You know, um, uh, NATO, uh, all of those kind of uh, cons- conspiracy theories, really. And uh, the guy is not. If you like, amazingly, um, after you and you've ploughed through them as well, uh, years and years of badly written uh, social media propaganda, slagging each other off. You're not. This is not Christopher Vincent. I mean, it's perfectly written. You, you could call it anti-vax, and it is. But it's it's the the intelligent end of that stuff, you know, where there's there there. Slightly, I would see it as pontificating, though, as well. I mean, it's it's not just somebody making a, you know, it's it's sort of um, how would I describe it? You know, when you see him answering somebody, it's it's very much he is looking down his nose on oh, everybody yes, and yes, everything. Yes, it's an effort. It's you know, this undoubtedly is an intelligent person, but mm. it's just somebody who wants to make sure. It's not just that I disagree with you, but I have. Good intelligent reasons, and I I'm suppose. going to crush you. Is, yeah. is the kind of attitude you get. Yeah. yeah, and maybe I'm kind of coming at that because I do understand that, having read that, that Christy Kinahan and I would be, you know, I would be happy to say I'm sure of it mm. that he was behind a lot of social media that has been run by the Kinahan mob over the past few years. And in particular, after the Regency, there was certain social media, um, we don't have time really to go into the details of it, but it was called, at one point it was called Sarah Sean. Um, I've actually detailed it in in my book, Clash of the Clans, but it is um, it was this sort of Twitter site, later moved to Facebook, it released newsletters. It was all giving the kind of the uh, the narrative from the Kinahan side. But it was really well written. And yes. it was to the extent that while the Gardaí were investigating it, actually, and, you know, was this a criminal? Was it a journalist? Yeah. It was so well written. That yeah. was what kind of was coming back from the criminal investigation into it. Yeah. That this was possibly a journalist working for the criminal yeah, in an I mean, organization. This, exactly, and I mean, this is this is as I said to you. Like, if you compare it to some of the the Hutch the Hutch style propaganda, which really was a yeah. was was of it a can lo- be crass, and yeah, it is yeah, more yeah. to that world, yeah, though, is it yes, not? But, the Hutch style propaganda, which you know, will maybe use language that 
could have you banned off yeah. Twitter or whatever yeah. is accusing people of yeah. sort of things. It's just much more criminal underworld than what Christy yeah. Kinahan is. Yes. I mean, he is still the cuckoo in the nest. He is still he has still got his feet in both camps. Like amazingly, some of the more amazing things were just the little things. Like I look back and he was attending conferences in Dubai, business conferences on aviation in 2019, just listen to various experts speak. So he was inhabiting that world, mm. you know, on on, you know, if you looked on his uh, on his on his LinkedIn page, you have you see he's attended Open University, got degrees even after his time in prison. So you know, he's he's got one foot in both camps, you know. Isn't it incredible like because when you look at it it looks as if Daniel Kinahan is the great pretender, really. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to live up to that father. And yeah. I mean, there's few who really could do what his father has done. No, I mean, it, funnily enough, actually, I remember um, watching my, my talking to my daddy, watching Narcos, and which is surprising, my dad is, is so <laughs> respectful. But, and he said to me, and he said about Pablo Escobar, and he said at one point, he said to me, and it was amazing what he built, though, in another <laughs> way, wasn't it? And I was going, well, I suppose it was. And that is also true of Christopher yeah. Sr. It is incredible. What he's built. What it he's is. built. And it's incredible that even that in, in, in his 60s, a man with incredible record of criminal convictions could reinvent himself as, as an aviation broker speaking in business speak talking about cryptocurrency and, and, you know, and inflation levels in the US and, you know, it's incredible. But, you know, the reality is that, uh, that it does take a certain type of personality to, to be able to, to disassociate yourself. Because remember, we talk about 18 mur <coughs> murders in the Hutchkin and mm. feud. But if you go back over the, the 15 years before that, there was multiple, multiple murders committed by the Kinahan cartel yeah. when, when Christie was at the top of it. People like Eamon Dunn, Ray Salinger. I mean, the, the list is goes on and yeah. on and on. Dougie Bourne. These are all... all, all they were all wasted to him. He was able to just, yes. you know, to just get on with things and to just not Yeah, flick have off any... that bit of his brain yeah. and turn on the aviation broker who, who that's talks That's a sociopath though, isn't it? Well, I don't know. It's, it's, well, I don't know. to be able to do that. It's, it's certainly uncommon. Yeah. And that, 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 that is, um, you know, that it, there is, there's, there's obviously criminals that mm. if you look back, say, in some of the Limerick gangs, they live by fear and threats and violence, but there's, there's a rarer breed that, that, um, that only really rise to the top that can switch on and off those, those two sides of the brain that can do one side, one, that can do that violent, mm. terrifying, you know, violence and also switch on a kind of a, a, a dispassionate business person side to their brain as well. It's the ultimate compartmentalization of things, isn't it? Um, so part of his, his business um, empire that he was running under the name Christopher Vincent, apart from being an aviation consulting service, uh, sorry, an aviation consultant, he was also had business that was bringing in construction projects, renewable energy projects. He was, you know, he has his finger in every pie, doesn't oh, he? Oh, absolutely, and sponsoring charity events. But you're talking about, uh, you know, according to himself, mm. businesses in Africa, um, you know, it obviously seems to have had a number of uh, interests in the, in, in, the, in the Far East, in, in places like Hong Kong, um, you know, uh, there's a. It's not just one company. I mean, it, there, there's there's a rake of companies that seem to set up 
provide sort of multiple types of services and you know all about and a lot of his the things that he's 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 coming out with are about you know how he can he can put people in touch with this person and all of that uh, just incredible stuff mm. there's a level of addiction there isn't there when it comes to the business and the continuing and the non-ability to retire and yeah, well, you see, this is this is it. You know, you could say Which brings the, us back to maybe he did have an addiction. Well, to I think you know people addictive that, personality there. Yeah, well, people um, you know, people look for 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 something excitement and mm. to make them feel it okay. Manifests itself in all sorts. Well, of I mean, ways. it's you know, people sometimes people who 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 leave addiction retain high risk activities. You know. So leaving him slightly to one side, even though he's he's always with us on this, but uh, another part of what we've discovered in the past couple of, or the past week, really, it's only a week since those sanctions were um, announced, was that there is certainly crisis meetings to be held in Oman. And Oman, which is next door to the United Arab Emirates, has been a place where Daniel Kinahan has, seems to have been drawn to. My understanding is that there's certainly some sort of a safe house uh, set up there and that perhaps if the United Arab Emirates make the move, the first one will have to be against Sean McGovern and to send him home on that extradition um, or whatever we'd call it for, for he's he wanted here for murder. Um, I mean, that actually was slightly missed the significance of that in the whole sanctions list because it, it came after so much. It was kind of like big story after big story after big story. But McGovern is wanted for murder. And that has been said by the, the police here. McGovern is based out in Dubai. He's been at Daniel Kinahan's side. His um, partner, Anita Freeman, is out there with him. He did live in Crumlin, was very much part of the Burn organised crime crew um, and was almost family, although he wasn't family, he was treated as family within that grouping. And he's been out in Dubai full time since the murder of Noel Duckegg Kerwin. Um, never come back to Ireland since. I think his partner has returned a number of times, but he's out there. And really the authorities are putting it up to the UAE, send him home. We want him for this very serious charge. Yeah, I mean, I think the the addition of the, the, the force of the US government coming behind this has really change the game and you can see that across uh obviously the boxing world you know like it's a sort of a bizarre kind mm -hmm. of sense that well sure we didn't know anything about this until last week uh coming out from some of the people in the boxing world um which is amazing obviously because yeah. all of that information was there so i think from from you know the they are going to have to now move their assets, I think. Mm. And I think that's the next and thing you're going to see. And possibly themselves, the physical and, beings. And possibly themselves. I mean, you Into see, a man. I mean, what is that going to do for them? They're just being pushed further and further away into, you know, yeah, anyway, we and, need and to all wait the to companies see what the that, do. All the companies that were kept at an arm's length from yeah. the Guinness now are going to come in. And obviously, the, the you see the stuff on the internet, different Twitter sites. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, something I do want to mention about all this because the last week, and even though I have been skiing, I have had my head on my phone a little bit too much, but uh, there's been a lot of kind of, you know, congratulations to various journalists and to things like this and, and, and oh, you know, ourselves included. And while it's very nice when people are being nice to you, realistically, crime journalists have been doing a job and we're paid for it. And... Um, that's what we do. And and if any little bit of trouble comes to our door, we're we're blessed in a way that we have huge corporate entities behind us. Um, Media House, our own company, is a is a big European company that has dealt with, you know, 
threats and their journalists in various territories, including the Netherlands. And we also have the backing of the state, should anything come to our door. That is a fact. We have backing from politicians and from police. And, you know, it's it's different for us, and that's what we're doing a job. But there's people out there who have been hugely important in this emerging story of the Kinahan mob. And they haven't got those protections. And their online entities, in particular, I want to say about the uh, handle Arije Wolf on Twitter, as well as Lexi Doyle. And I'm not going to go into details about who they are, where they are or anything, but they are two people who have been working in the background, piecing together, putting together the pieces of the jigsaw. They've been doing incredible work. And... Um, They've been doing it without those protections. I Absolutely. mean, I mean, some of the, the some of the stuff they've uncovered, um, just relying on documentation filed in U.S. courts, relying on company records filed in Dubai. I mean, it's 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 incredible work. Incredible. You know? They've done some better work than some of the journalists and a lot of journalists, probably than ourselves. You know, and I mean, you know, we have actually used some of the stuff that they have uncovered very much so. And I think they're both, uh, again, while I don't want to go into anything about their identities, they're people who, and there's there's another one uh, handled Counter Mole I know very little about, but um, Counter Mole has done a lot of work on you know, these pictures that emerge and where they are taken and, and, you know, piecing together exactly where Daniel Kinahan was when he was pictured with Tyson Fury and all the rest of it. All very important work because a narrative has been put out sometimes through a picture that he's in this place when he's not at all, you know. He's trying to claim he's in Spain, perhaps in London, when actually he's still in Dubai and he's never left. But um, yeah, it's the good and bad side of social media. So you can see how citizen journalists and ordinary people can make a difference in in, in what is now a global story. Yeah, you've all we've also seen the bad sides of social media, where people can threaten and put out stuff. But there is also a good side, and uh, you know they're not the mainstream media as well. Uh, so we can't even. No, and get... Christy might like them. Maybe you might prefer them to us. <laughs> but no, I do think that they're people who, I think at their, you know. Their motivation is to do with boxing, a sport they absolutely love. And I think they're disgusted by how it has been poisoned by this drugs mob. And I think really at the heart of what they do is their belief in what is right and what is wrong. It's a kind of a black and white good look absolutely. at the world. Absolutely. I think there was a, there was a frustration there. Like the, there's one thing the Kinnan cartel, people know they're, they are what they are, but I think it was it was the people on the edges of, or within the boxing world that aren't criminals. Mm. I mean, we always write, they're not linked to organised crime, yeah. but their tolerance of criminality in their midst, I think that really, uh, there was people in the boxing world that that caused a great uh, discomfort with, mm. you know, even more maybe than Daniel it was the reaction of other people in the boxing world to let's that these people should be tolerated because they're bringing in money and they're putting on fights and stuff like that. And that really, there's people of principle who felt that that is not okay, you know? Yeah, and you know, boxing, I suppose, just to get back to the basics of it, it is a sport that is there. It's a largely sort of a working class sport. It's a place for some kids fr- from areas who don't maybe don't have much that they can find, a, a, you know, they, they're, they're drawn to it. And you need people volunteers working in it from the ground who aren't going to be bloody drug dealers. Yeah, because, I mean, boxing, I mean, it's... And, of course, this is professional boxing we're talking about here, not amateur, but still... But also amateur, you know, I mean, mm. it's like um, boxing has been for, in Ireland, 
amongst traveling community, for example, amongst, you know, and across the world in, in, in working class areas in, in America. It's provided an outlet for people and it's provided a way out of poverty. And uh, it's been, it's done way more good than, than, than bad, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, things can be corrupted and, you know, it's, it's, it's a very big problem when sports are corrupted. Most definitely. And I'm hoping to do a, um, another podcast for Saturday focused more on the boxing. So I think what we'll do is we'll stick for today to um, the sort of the crime end of it. And the, the final thing I think is really interesting to talk about is Johnny Morrissey because, oh my goodness, Morrissey has been sitting there. Um, I think I, I weight-shamed him there the last time we were talking today. Well, well, I, I mean, and it's, it's, you've been shaming him for years. Because I actually <laughs> looked into the, uh, into, I was, when, when we were putting it up, I looked into our archive and you, you'd written about him sometime in the early 2000s. Oh, right. So, I mean, that shows you this guy has, How you know. he's been going on with And him? I mean, obviously, at that point, he was, you know, the, the, you know, this guy has been at the top of organised crime for nearly four, well, three, three, four decades. I mean, yeah. a massive amount of time, um, you know. So Eamon Dillon was doing a, a sort of a profile of him there uh, for the Sunday World. Again, it should be online now on the sundayworld.com website. And um, he talks about this long career he's had in organised crime. Um, his early reputation was as a British gangland hitman. I think he's just suspected of that. I don't think he's any convictions. Um, but it's a world away in similar terms as as Christy Kinahan from that, you know, that heroin dealer in Dublin to what this business icon he's become. Uh yeah, he seems to have, have come Morris to, is the same. Yeah, know? he seems to have come to prominence as part of in the in the in the days of the armed robbery gangs in Manchester. Mm. Um, you know, um he seems to have made a lot of money at some point. Um he's from an Irish background. Uh he he I think he is an Irish citizen, though I could be Oh, was he Irish originally? But he has a he, yeah. like he's from an Irish background anyway. Right. Um but he really came to prominence in Irish the Irish media when he ended up in 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 County Cork in the in the nineteen nineties, um, he seems to have had an association with George the Penguin Mitchell. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, if if you remember, so he was staying in Cork. He bought a restaurant or something. Didn't he bought he? a restaurant. It seems like George Georgie Mitchell back in the day seems to had very strong ties with British gangs. Um, uh, you know, and they, you know, he was even there was the famous Mickey Boyle was mm-hmm. going over. They were seems to have been swapping people to do jobs, and he's uh, during that point, Morrissey seems to have built up a, a relationship with him. But he seems to have made enough money to buy a restaurant in Cork and can sail in the nineteen nineties. Now, funny enough, wasn't there quite a interesting criminal connections to the, the to Marbella and, and Cork around that time. There was what was called the Cork Mafia. A guy called Alan Buckley, I think it was supposed to yeah. be a Alan Buckley. They were they were kind of um yeah, the Cork Mafia is what they were called, but they were primarily involved, I think, in in, in cannabis importation. Yeah. Which was a huge, huge business. Shipping it, I think, to yeah. the Cork Coast and yeah, it still is a big business, of course, but it was particularly maybe bigger then. Um, they were kind of relatively well-heeled, kind of um, bohemian almost mm. types, you know. Um, Alan Buckley ultimately uh, would spend a, a, a period of time in prison um, for drug trafficking events. He was caught on a yacht, or he was caught certainly caught on there was a yacht. yacht of there was a yacht filled with cannabis that was linked to him, and he was jailed in Spain. But he was in a relationship of late. Um, I don't know if 
it has split. It's, it was with a very wealthy lady from the, the Cork area. Yeah, they were from, they were more more likely to be going to rugby matches than, mm. uh, than, than GAA. Probably type Christie's Cork. type, really. Yeah, yeah. So, but so Johnny Morrissey seems to have, through his Irish connections, ended up in in Kinsale. He bought a, a, a restaurant, but he then became one of the first people, I think, to really come to the attention of the Criminal Assets Bureau. And um, he 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 became he you know I've, I've obviously the Criminal Assets Bureau we've gone into many times set up after Veronica Kieran's murder, and um, they initially were probably looking at the Gilligan gang, but Johnny Morrissey seems to have come up. Uh, shortly after, um, and you know, he then really hit the, the the Irish media because, as he was being investigated, there was a very serious uh, death threat laid against one of the Criminal Assets Bureau officers, and um, that they had received intelligence that he was going to be murdered by associates of Morrissey, um, you know, who had taken grave offence to their to their operation against them. I mean, Eamon Dillon has spoken to Felix McKenna, uh, the former Criminal Assets Bureau Chief Officer, and he says about Morrissey, he wasn't shy at all, he was a man about town, he had the spondulics in his pocket to flash, and he wasn't afraid of flashing it. He goes on to say that his reputation was that he was a hitman for the gangsters in England, more so than in Ireland. That's one of the reasons he came to Kinsale, sort of, you know, to hide out, I suppose. Um but he says when they began to target him, there were threats to the Criminal Assets Bureau. He was identified as the orchestrator or the, re, or the person capable of carrying them out. Now, the cab officer searched his properties down in Cork and they seized jewellery and a dinghy, a kind of an ocean-going dinghy it's described as. He left Ireland after the seizures and never came back. But the next thing really is he rattles up in Spain and Marbella with the Kinnahans. Rattles up with them, uh, with, with them and sort of running various businesses around very uh you know not not keeping a head down on social media posting publicly constantly and kind of puts himself out there as a i think he even appeared on a couple of documentaries in 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 the uk as a kind of i think he was interviewed i think he was Mm. as kind of a retired criminal as a a kind of a, a a sort of retired good fella yeah um but that doesn't seem that is just he did a very snazzy wedding in a castle in Scotland to his wife Nicola Morrissey, who was also um, she was she was identified in the sanctions because she's the CEO of this Nero Vodka, which has been identified as a, a money laundering outfit for Kinahan. Um, but they had this extraordinary wedding. I think they went back a few years ago. I only know this because he told me on social media. Sorry, I don't, I'm not actually stalking the guy. I mean, you couldn't get more information about what he was doing on a day-to-day basis. If this guy went out for dinner or lunch in Marbella, you got a video of what was on the table, what he was eating, how expensive the oysters were, all the rest of it. And he constantly had the camera in his wife's face. And actually, often a few times, she'd sort of nearly want to stick it up as, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was he was a big show off. Interestingly now when, when David Dahi Douglas was first time injured, Dahi Douglas was uh, murdered by Freddie Thompson who's serving a life to, uh, prison term in relation to that but he was shot before he was murdered and survived it and I remember seeing him uh, you know contacting Morrissey on Facebook. Morrissey was doing up his his uh, house in, in, in Spain at the time and he was saying to him, oh, Johnny, which is my room? And he was coming back to him saying, oh, hope you're feeling a bit better. 
Dahi, sure you can have the best room in the house and you come to see me. And I was thinking, my God, these people are all connected, aren't they? They are all, They're yeah, all it's amazing. And of course, um, uh, Dahi Douglas will go on to be killed by by the, the Kinnan yeah. cartel. But Morrissey was a kind of a public defender of Daniel mm-hmm. back in those days, post-Regency. And there was the famous book uh, or booklet, Blood Feud, mm. who now you have to look back and think, you know, what was Christy Senior's Rolling fingerprints in that? Mm. Um, Johnny Morrissey, I think he was the first person to share it, wasn't he? Was. He was the person to put yeah. it out publicly. I mean, Blood Feud, for people who haven't... It was published online, basically, yeah. and no author or anything, but no. it was a big, huge... It was a kind of a defence of the of the, the Kinahan cartel. In a funny way, it was different than the line that Daniel would take, that he had no involvement in anything. But it was more of a defence of why Gary Hutch was shot, mm-hmm. saying, you know, taking a certain perspective on it. And then also... Riddle true it was the conspiracy that 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 Enda Kenny had set up the regency or yeah. or or you know well he had and that we we had worked with the Hutch gang and yeah, the police and we'd all been so there that, on the day to photograph yeah, Daniel yeah, being so killed that was, that was the thing but Johnny Morrissey was the public defender um, but you know as you as 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 the years go by he becomes more and more um, associated with this this vodka brand mm. that seems to have. Uh, had no end of money to spend promoting Came itself. Came from nowhere and yet again became such a success. It's just extraordinary, isn't it, how these products, other people work for years and years and years to try and develop and market their products, but these guys can just come up with a... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is, look, let's be realistic. It's it's hard to take on the drinks industry of yeah. selling vodka. So he, he, you know, we, I think it was just last year, I mean, we were we were the last paper to be still writing about Johnny Morrissey in a way about how he 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 launched. He was part of a launch for Nero, yeah, Nero Vodka's, uh, you know, in in Porto Benus, where he seems to continue to spend most of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we we had a little visitation to his house this week. I think he's gone. He doesn't appear to be at the pool anymore. But finally, I think um, we'll just refer to these rewards. Um, this five million that I'm going to claim. Yeah, you're going to claim. I'm going to claim. Yeah. And I'm going to go on holidays and turn my phone off. (laughs) Right, maybe. Well, I hear Dubai is nice. Oh. (laughs) Even the Gulf of Oman. Yeah. But anyway, this five million. It's not an an Irish law enforcement tradition, is it? Rewards and, and, and all of these things. But, you know, it's a different, the US is different, as you can see, you know, in how they, they approach these things. I mean, the, the five million, pound or five million dollar reward you know is looking for information it's not looking for information daniel's living down the road from me there in dubai it's looking for uh evidence that can be used in a court i would imagine mm-hmm. and that's therefore it's looking for somebody to say yeah. daniel told me this yeah christy told me that or i worked or you know yeah, if you worked within the yes, businesses yes, or whatever yes yeah. something something more so significant. some accountant out there is going to claim it above me possibly or somebody somebody else who maybe feels you know mm. my life is in danger mm-hmm. why, not, why not get to five million and do you know who's always always the most dangerous in all these situations who the women the women who, who or or yeah, the, the women know everything. Yeah, remember somebody very very high up in law enforcement told mm. me that one time. Yeah. never underestimate the women. They know where all the skeletons are. Yeah, you see, this is the problem, and and you see, you see as well. Uh, Eamon wrote about it in the weekend, and also it featured in the D, in the uh, the US law official thing that they Daniel has to continue to pay people. 
yeah. who are behind bars, continue to keep these people going. And, um, you know, while I fully believe that he, he wanted to move away from the drugs business and really become a more or less a boxing like promoter. Like dad is what he wanted yes. in the boxing. But the reality is that, you know, once he moves away from that, he, um, you know, he becomes more vulnerable because it's the it's the criminality that keeps those people in check, the people that are serving prison sentences and their families and people associated with them. So they're they're you know, they're they're it's hard to get out once you're in. Mm, mm, most definitely. And look, we'll come back to this maybe next week because we've really banged on a bit there. Maybe I hope we haven't bored people. But um I think that there is still a lot more in this and we are working on stories, you know, relating to you know, to Scotland connections relating to more more stuff on Johnny Morrissey that will be of interest to people. So we'll maybe just call it a day for the moment because there's a lot of information we've gone through there. And we'll uh, sorry, I'm not claiming you're boring. No, no, no. I, th- I thought you were saying you were boring. But I was, I was the interesting <laughs> bit. <laughs> so look, we'll come back to it next week. So for the moment, thanks a million. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. <laughs>